Psychological safety in a nutshell is a sincere belief that you can speak up at work with work relevant content of any kind, an idea, a question, a concern, and even a mistake, and that that will be welcomed by your colleagues. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And um, yeah, the, the question is um, the, the whole topic on organizational improvisation at all. But before we start uh, doing that part, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself. So what is your name yeah. and uh, what is your profession? My name is Amy Edmondson, and I am a professor at Harvard Business School, where I study and teach leadership, teamwork, organizational change and learning, and many other aspects of corporate culture. One aspect uh, that many people know is uh, psychological safety. So uh, you published a lot uh, on that topic, uh, but what is psychological safety in a nutshell, if this is possible to say? <laughs> psychological safety in a nutshell is a sincere belief that you can speak up at work with work relevant content of any kind, an idea, a question, a concern, and even a mistake and that that will be welcomed by your colleagues. So how can you create such a, uh, a place in which psychological uh, safety uh, is, uh, is established in a way? Well, you know, it starts with unlearning, right? It starts with surfacing and then exposing it to be a fraud, the basic management assumption of command and control. And the basic assumption underlying command and control, and, and essentially fear at work, which is so pervasive, is that we have a clear line of sight on the future. In other words, that we can have a plan, we can have a blueprint, and we can get people in line to follow that plan and execute to that blueprint. That's just no longer the case in most organizational settings. And so by, by clarifying the actual nature of what's now often called the VUCA world or the VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, that lets people know that you're serious, that actually it is logical to assume we need to hear from you. So that, that's kind of job one. Do managers still think from your perspective that they can command and control and, and plan in advance for? You know, most managers would not um, either admit to or even sincerely believe that they have a command and control mindset. At the same time, most managers still implicitly think of fear as a pretty good tool. If you're afraid, you'll work hard. Um, and while there's some truth to the fact that fear might drive effort, what it really drives is hiding. Right, when I'm afraid at work, and especially when I'm afraid of what the boss might think, I don't speak the truth. I don't speak at all if I can avoid it. And in a VUCA world, that's a crippling culture. Right? That's a culture that cannot thrive in a, in a complex, uncertain marketplace. So I imagine if I'm a manager and I have the mindset at least implicitly, yeah. of command and control. And then yes. suddenly I hear like, oh, this is not the best way to do so. What is the alternative? If I, should, should I not command and control? Should I not plan yeah. in advance? It's a very good question. The, what is the alternative? The alternative is 
you absolutely have a crucial role to play as a manager, as a leader at, at any level, which is to set direction and to kind of rally people around a shared and, by the way, hopefully meaningful direction. Because ultimately, work in the new world is 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 volunteer in a very deep way, right? It's it's of course I have a job and I have to do my job and I could get fired if I don't do my job. But doing my job is different than doing my job with my heart and soul. And that's the volunteer part. So if if you really want people to be willing to give their true effort, their true ideas, their true concerns, then it's first and foremost important to set a meaningful, inspiring direction. And then secondarily, you have a really crucial job to do to ask good questions. And let me define good questions. A good question is one in which you actually don't know the answer. But more specifically, a good question is one that focuses people on something that matters, an issue, a decision, a concern, a competitor, a customer. Right. It gets us focused on something, and then it invites careful thought and gives people room to respond. You know, so an example of a good question might be, what are we missing? What other perspectives do you have about this issue? Or what leads you to think that? You know, what, what experiences have you had? And now I listen. So managers have an absolutely crucial role because the kind of activity that we're talking about, which is fundamentally collaboration, teamwork, improvisation, require people to take interpersonal risks, which are unnatural to do. And the role and force of good management is to make that easier. Now, you mentioned fear uh, sometimes. What is the fear uh, of, of employees and organizations? Because you say, you've got a job and you've got your things to do. Yeah. What, what is the fear, Dave? Well, there's, there's productive fear, a couple of f types of productive fear, and there are many more types of counterproductive fear. So productive fear might be fear of missing a deadline, fear of letting my colleagues down, you know, um, fear of, of the competition out there. Those, those are healthy and energizing fears in a way because they're discussable, they're shareable. Right? They're not secret, they're not shameful. And then there's fear of looking bad or fear of being found out uh, to be not good enough or fear of the boss or what the boss might think of me. Those are counterproductive fears. Those are unhealthy fears because they fundamentally lead people to hold back. And we can't have people holding back. 20 years ago, uh, you, I think it was one of the, the, the first papers uh, that, on the concept of psychological safety, in, in which you wonderfully describe uh, psychological safety. Um, and there are some great TED Talks and other <laughs> books and so on. Um, so 20 years passed. So what do you think? What has changed over the last uh, 20 years in OSH? So are they more psychologically safe, or is it an even bigger issue? So what is your perception on that? I think the most important thing that has changed is that the need and relevance of psychological safety have gotten much bigger. When that article was published in an academic journal, so most practitioners would not have been aware of it, 
um, the world felt to us at the time like a pretty fast-moving, complex place, but of course it's even more so uh, today. So when that article was published, um, the data showed a very powerful relationship between psychological safety and learning behaviors in teams and ultimately performance in those same teams. And that was a great result, right? Because I was able to show that the degree to which people do not have interpersonal fear in their teams is a powerful determinant of performance. Now, fast forward. Today, it's more than a powerful determinant of performance. It's literally mission critical. If you don't have psychological safety in today's work environment, you're not gonna get innovation. You're not gonna get collaboration. You're not gonna get great performance. Do you wanna make your sales more repeatable and reliable? Do you want to have less volatility and more growth in your revenue per month? At Strategy Sprints, we do only one thing, strategy and sprints. Strategy means having more revenue through a better offer. And sprints means having more energy in your team every week. Check out if your ROI is as high as it is for most service-based and online businesses and startups we work with, which is over 100%. You can see it in just 15 minutes by going to strategysprints.com sales and completing our online exercise to know what your ROI would be with our accelerator program. We are ready to sprint. Are you? We uh, investigate the, the concept of improvisation or organizational improvisation. That means to deal with the unexpected in a complex mm -hmm. and fast-paced mm -hmm. uh, uh, world so that people sometimes uh, are in a situation in which they have to think on, on their feet uh, to create collaboratively on spot something. And um, in the literature, sometimes I see linkages uh, to psychological safety. Mm -hmm. so, do you see a connection between uh, this uh, to, to improvise or organization improvisation and psychological safety? The connection between improvisation and psychological safety is profound and, and very real. In fact, I have thought about improvisation for years as one of the core types of learning in organizations, if, you know, collective collaborative learning, where one is continuous improvement, one is innovation and the third is improvisation. And improvisation, just as you say, is that sort of problem solving on the fly, almost necessarily collaborative because we each have a piece of the puzzle. And because it's collaborative and because it involves uncertainty and, and, and um, experimenting and, and having things sometimes work but sometimes not work, that means it necessarily brings an element of risk and interpersonal risk or interpersonal fear. So in order to do it well, I've got to get over myself. Right? I can't be worried about how do I look. I have to worry about what are we trying to get done and what do I bring and what do you bring? And then we've, we've got to be absolutely candid and clear and brave. And that takes psychological safety. What is improvisation uh, from your point of view? It's problem solving on the fly. And, and generally, you know, I, I spent, in addition to psychological safety, I've spent a lot of time studying teams and teaming. And teaming, I think of as teamwork on the fly. The kinds of collaboration and coordination that happens 
outside of the context of formal, stable, well-structured teams. Uh, but when different people cross silos in organizations or between organizations uh, to get work done. And so improvisation is getting work done that we don't have a blueprint for. Do organizations, from your point of view, uh, need that? Or is it just like, or is it a change in the last decade? So I, I would have yeah. <laughs> well, let me Let me answer that by saying, of course, organizations need it. Uh, I had the good fortune about 25 years ago to do my first study as a PhD student in a hospital setting. It was actually a study of medication errors. Now, when you look at hospitals, even back then, 24-7 operations, highly unique and, and, um, and, and changing situations going on in, in their work, they've been improv improvising for decades. It's not it's very different, of course, from an um, automotive company or from even a clinic where you come in, you go out. But in a hospital setting, it's all about improvisation. So I had the luxury of thinking about these issues maybe before they were fashionable because I chose to study these healthcare clinicians delivering care in constantly changing, problem-solving contexts. Now, when I was a, an assistant professor at Harvard Business School, some of my senior faculty colleagues said, it's very nice work you've done, but it's not a real business. So, you know, you probably um, should go study something else. And my response was, it's in healthcare delivery, they're facing some of the things that people in other businesses face, but in technicolor, in an extreme form, right? 24-7, high stakes, fast-paced, collaboration, improvisation, and that's coming, and in fact, increasingly characteristic of other business organizations, but they show us how to do it, and they also show us how and when it breaks down. And I think that the metaphor is one thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but put practically, like is it to give all the recommendations right. and have a data set, the question is, like, if we say like improvisational mindset may be useful and beneficial, how do you get there? So how can you create this kind of mindset? Well, I want to say it's mindset plus process tools. And so how do you create the mindset? We'll start there. How do you create the mindset is reminding people of uncertainty, complexity, and the need for creativity to figure this out together, right? Because People, most people will come with a different mindset, which is I need to perform. This is not performing, this is improvising, right? This is performing under uncertainty. And you might even think of it as experimenting, plan, do, check, act. So the, the mindset is cultivated when we recognize the uncertainty, recognize the interdependence, and accept the challenge of working together to solve a problem. But process tools are a really important complement to doing this well. Because process tools are the kinds of things that when we quickly connect on something to improvise, we could very easily have a miscommunication. We might be from different disciplines. And a word I use might mean nothing to you, or worse, it might mean something quite different to you because your discipline is different. And so we need, um, 
the, the tools of very structured communication. You know, what, what, what are we saying? Boundary objects, clarity around what we're trying to get done, and we ensure very quickly that mutual understanding. Now, interestingly, it, the, the word improvisation is often not um, as positive as some people think of. Like That's true. In the US, it's often like comedy. Yes. And in Europe, it's often like a dysfunctional. Yeah, you, you have to tied time, it together. And you do whatever. You're not right. professional. There's not expertise. So if you're not an expert, you just improvise. Mm, or in mm, America, it's mm. like you just, you know, make a laugh. You're a stand up comedian. And they say, well, why should I do something like that in my organization? Mm -hmm. I think people value the comedy, and I think you're right in that the, 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 the comedy context of improvisation, people imagine it to be, or believe it to be, quite clever and challenging, but lighthearted, not important in, in a deep, deeper sense. So perhaps um, the word comes with baggage, is what you're saying. And yet it's a very good word for solving new problems collaboratively on the fly. So maybe it's just a matter of selling, repositioning, helping people understand that anytime you're on an uncertain journey where you don't have solutions yet, your job is to improvise, but not improvise as an end in itself, as in the comedy. Improvise as a step on an innovation journey. In contrast to improvisation, perhaps we love Innovation. Everybody thinks innovation is a good word. Everybody thinks innovation is the holy grail. So if we recognize that improvisation is a necessary aspect of innovation, it makes it a bit more palatable. We thought of, um, is it possible to have some kind of um, training for improvised skills, or improvisation skills, to foster uh, the psychological safety of a team? Do you think that that might work or be plausible? I think that would absolutely work. And it's one of those chicken and egg, you know, do you create psychological safety to help people improvise or do you force people to improvise to create more psychological safety? And I think the answer is yes, both. And it may not even matter where you start, although I'm actually a fan of starting with action, which would suggest start by helping people have an experience of improvisation, discovering that they don't die, they don't die of shame, um, and they maybe even enjoy it, and they learn something, and they like each other, and life goes on. That creates psychological safety. Now we took the journey 20 years ago to now. The next years, I mean, who knows what the future <laughs> might be? But uh, what would you say, what, what perhaps are the specific industries in which they need a psychological safety or this improvisation mindset? Or is it like a global trend that everyone needs more of that? What is your... I'm hard pressed to think of an industry that doesn't need more psychological safety to empower and engage the talent that they have in solving the problems that lie ahead. We all know that working in sprints is better, but how do we know what we should work on? You're in luck because we have a 15 minute exercise that will give you complete clarity on where to take your project next. Go to strategysprints.com sales to complete our short exercise and meet one-on-one -on -one with an expert sprint coach to identify your number one bottleneck.
Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Strategy Show. Make sure to like this video below and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with every episode of The Strategy Show. Get daily CEO tips from CEOs for CEOs.